0: Well, thank you Anna and Shauna, they've been with us over the years and we just so thankful to have them this morning to lead us in worship. I'm going to now turn our attention to the Gospel of John. We took a long break to go through Lent and then uh, through Easter last Sunday. It was a blessed time we had together. Um, And now we're going to jump back into the Gospel of John. And we're going to be in John chapter 4. And I'm just going to dive right in. And I'm going to pray and then I will read uh, our Gospel text for this morning. Lord Jesus, would you prepare our hearts now to hear your word. Uh, Lord, would you speak what you want to speak through this word this morning. We thank you that these words give life um, because of who you are and what you have done how you have uh, lived and demonstrated Lord how we can be in the world how we can love in the world um, and so I just pray that you would show us through this story today of how we can best come to co- draw near to you to. Um, Acknowledge your presence here in our midst and to help us to grow in our discipleship. your name we pray. Amen. Amen. John chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 1. It says this, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sinkar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tried as he, as uh, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would, have, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life." The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband what you have just said is quite true sir the woman said i can see that you are a prophet our ancestors ancestors worshiped on this mountain but you jews claim that the place where we must worship is in jerusalem woman jesus replied believe me a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in jerusalem You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. This woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Uh, This week, kind of coming off of Easter, I sat down to do my sermon prep and I, I try and just do as much studying as I possibly can. And in that study, I'm hoping that things are emerging that I can share with you. And I have to admit, by the end of my study on Wednesday, I was still curious out of the things that I had looked at, what I was meant to share with this group. And so just decided to kind of lay that aside and went out for a run. And on my run, out of this concern for what I was going to share with you this morning, I just prayed and ask God, God, what is it that you want me to share from this story today? And I really felt this strong impression that what the Lord wanted to speak through this uh, gospel story this morning is just to show us how to see people. To show us how to see people the way he sees people. And I wonder how much you experience this gap uh, in your life, I know I do, between how I see people and how the scripture, how the Lord sees people, how Jesus sees people. And so what I want to do is just spend a little bit of time. I had to go back into my notes and sort of do a, a edit. It's like, okay, Jesus edit. <laughs> Jesus wants to edit this sermon to go in this direction. And so Um, I want to just show you a couple pictures and explore two stories with you. Um, The first one is by a famous artist named Sadao Watanabe, who is a Japanese artist, very actually well-known in the 70s and 80s. This is an amazing story of uh, this artist that when he was about 10 years old, his father died and he dropped out of school and instead decided to be apprenticed at a printmaking shop and he learned how to do printmaking and then when he was in high school, a neighbor invited him to church. And when he was 17 years old, he was baptized and for the rest of his life dedicated himself to creating uh, the images of the gospel in folk art, in Japanese folk art and these, these uh, prints went into famous museums. They made it to the Vatican and the British Museum, the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Eventually, actually, Lyndon Johnson put these in the White House, and they hung in the White House. And this is what he said about where he actually wanted his work to be. He said, I would most like to see them hanging where people ordinarily gather, because Jesus brought the gospel for the people, And this is where the intersection of this folk art meets uh, the gospel. He says that Mingai, Japanese folk arts philosophy, is art for the people, by the people. And so we see in this picture here, a new way potentially of looking at the story, our, our gospel story of Jesus meeting this woman at the well. I love that the artist can help us to see this from a different cultural lens. I don't think the attempt is just to say, well, this is is my culture and how I want to depict it for my culture, so much as to help us to see the multiplicity of colors, the multiplicity of cultures that can intersect with a story like that. um, And begin to learn how to see people differently see from a different perspective the same story, in a new cultural lens to see the same story. The image of God, Christ's likeness in this story from a new perspective. And then I wanna juxtapose that, I know this was a long time ago, but I wanna show you another uh, picture. This is from the story just before this one in uh, the Gospel of John in chapter three where Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus. And this is an African-American artist rendition of this picture. I would have never picked up what this artist had picked up in the story. This is Henry Osawa Tanner, and he was learning about uh, the story of Nicodemus, and what he drew from it was a similarity that he saw that in the African, African-American worship habits, that took place after emancipation, when slaves were freed, they continued to meet at night, as they had done when their masters had forbidden them to read the Bible. And so there is Nicodemus in secret with Jesus. And I wonder what the juxtaposition of these two stories can teach us as we look through different cultural lenses at these stories and try and ask the question how do we really see people you see i would say that one of my cultural lenses on something like the story of nicodemus is that i see nicodemus i have always interpreted nicodemus as somebody who was afraid to come to jesus in public and had a little judgment on nicodemus for that like you're the big Uh, high up religious teacher, you have all the right pedigree, and yet you can only go to Jesus at night because you're afraid of what may happen. You're afraid of what could happen to your reputation if you come to Jesus. Or we see the juxtaposition here with our, our, our story of the Samaritan woman at the well, right? It's interesting that John weaves these stories so beautifully that He juxtaposes the story of a secret meeting at night with then a very public meeting right in the middle of the day. See, one, Nicodemus has to go in secret because he's worried about his reputation potentially, or maybe there's just some intimacy that can come out of this secret meeting, this danger in the air. But there's Jesus in a place he shouldn't be in, at a well that... Uh, people like him didn't usually hang out at when all of a sudden a Samaritan woman comes. And in in all of, uh, for everyone to see in blatant public, uh, he's there speaking to this woman who he shouldn't be speaking to from a culture that is one that is taboo to speak uh, uh, to somebody from that culture. And, And yet there he is. Taking these two figures wherever and for whichever motive that they would show up and helping them to see deeper what they really desire, what they really need. It always fascinates me, you know, my two regular speaking uh, assignments that I'm signed up for on, on weekly, and I don't always do it every week but my two regular assignments really happen here and then right below here. Um, And sometimes I think of it this way as the upstairs and the downstairs churches um, that I get to minister to. And what fascinates me about both of them is that there's a totally different audience um, that I engage with. Uh, For those of you who are new to our community, the community downstairs that I'm talking about is our homeless community uh, that regularly has about 70 or 80 folks that I get up and do a devotional for, and I just do a small part. Uh, There's a fantastic team of people that do such great care for them, holistic care from jobs to food, but I get to get up and do the devotional, and sometimes right when I get up, I'll just read the scripture and I'll have reactions. Like, like people get upset sometimes or people get really excited. And either way, they let me know. <laughs> they, like I'm not, I'm not really that shocked uh, by any reaction at this point. I've had people stand up and try and shout me down. Um, I've had people just come up to me in tears, broken, so ready and open for whatever the Lord may do. And I I think it's a fascinating juxtaposition to my other audience. Uh, My other audience who is a little bit better at staying a little more reserved, (laughs) which is fine, but may also be having these reactions inside, these internal reactions. Um, and, and, and maybe it's easier to sort of, you know, reflect on them at lunch, after, or pretend the things that were said, weren't said, or just kind of keep moving on from the things that uh, happened in church. But I find it interesting this upstairs and downstairs. You know, wherever, we come from. Jesus is there saying, you know, I think you came to this well for some thirst. Like you're, you were just like genuinely thirsty. But can I show you, can I ask you a couple of questions? Can I spend a little bit of time with you to just sort of point out something a little deeper, something happening that is so layered with meaning and beauty and importance for your life that I'd like to just spend a little bit of time at this well, just speaking to you about the things that matter most in life. And we can just move from our common thirst that we share together to this deep, deep well. And... Uh, Jesus helps us to come in touch with our true thirst, doesn't he? He shows us, have you ever really been thirsty? Have you ever, like I know in our world, we uh, have access to fresh drinking water everywhere. But this is like a human luxury uh, that, is for only a select amount of people historically over time, right? Like we're reading in a story here about most of human history, how people were able to access clean drinking water was they would have to go and walk to a well and draw water from a well. And so people that were in that state of thirst had limited attention for anything other than getting that water that they needed. There's a lot of people that still are experiencing this reality as we speak in this moment. And so we we can see that there's a way in which the priorities shift when we're extremely thirsty. That when we thirst, that there's one thing that we want and we really can't even think about anything else. And this is what I want you to think about because it's a biblical theme that happens to many characters in the Bible, uh, both in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm, that those two things are tied up together. There are many times within the scripture that we can discover stories of people that were called to move, called out of where they were and into a desolate place. Why would Jesus, why would God call people out from where they are and into a desolate place? There really is a lesson for people to learn in a desolate place, isn't there? But it's not the fun lesson. But let's say you had this kind of thirst, this kind of desperate need for water, and I showed you just a little trickle of a stream in the middle of a desert that looked really muddy and gross. Now, for most of us, we would say that is disgusting. We would never drink from a little trickle of water out there if we could avoid it. But for the biblical characters who came across these types of streams, it was as life, as if God's providence God had thought of them and was taking care of them as he had called them out into a desolate place and now they have this stream of living water to help sustain them on life's journey this is what's lurking underneath this story as Jesus is at Jacob's well that this would have been the thing that people knew about as they came to this well And, and And Jesus is trying to help this woman to get unblocked. The things that are blocking her from experiencing and acknowledging these streams of living water both thr- both being uh, refreshed within her and giving her new life and then flowing out from her into her community. Jesus is spending time asking her the exact questions that need to be asked, exploring the exact themes, both personal and systemic, that have caused her to not yet be able to let these waters flow and it is as if he's doing this divine heart surgery on her, just, just ministering to her spirit to unblock these things that probably she never even conceived that could be unblocked in her. And so he doesn't care. He doesn't care where she came from. He doesn't care her personal history. He's willing to work with her through the blocks in order to offer this living water. This living water that is the thing that he desires to see run so freely through each and every person. And I wonder this morning if we see people this way. If when we look at each other, when you look at the people around us, that those of us who have had the great joy of having Jesus come and minister to us to help us to get unblocked, that if we can then turn and look around and go, "Who, who around me whether it's in the secrecy of night or in the middle of the day, could benefit from just being seen the way Jesus sees. In Jesus, God was given a face and a heart and he uses it to look this woman right in the eyes and see beyond what anyone else can see to look straight into the essence of this woman, to see the beautiful art in this woman. And I wonder uh, if, if you've had this experience yet of understanding this is how Jesus sees you. This is what Jesus sees when he sees you. He sees the art. If you come close to Jesus, this is how you begin to see other people, isn't it? You begin to learn how to see the way Jesus sees and it's all of a sudden, it's like they radiate in a way that you couldn't see before. I wanna read to you a quote by another artist, a guy named John Ruskin. He said this about seeing the greatest thing a human soul ever does in this world is to see something and tell what it is in a plain way. He says, hundreds of people can talk for one who can think, but thousands can think for one who can see. I would add to this that we all think for the one who can see the one who truly sees, invites us to have sight. That Jesus is saying, would you look with new eyes upon your world? I have another picture here. This is a picture of something I had to do the day before Easter, like Easter prep for my soul. Uh, This is out where I grew up. Actually, this is the front yard of my house where I grew up. So I was so blessed to have a creek in my front yard. And, and this time of year, because of so much of the rain, there is just this fresh, living water that's flowing down this creek in this powerful way. And then I got to just spend a little bit of time with my family and particularly uh, my uh, kids and my uh, nieces, and we just explored the creek together. Third generation creek exploration. And it just blessed my heart. I stood there and I watched the sun shining and I watched my kids just enjoying the creek and I remembered what it was like to be a kid enjoying the creek and it, it just blessed me. There's something about living water flowing that we just know we're made for. We know that this is what actually gives us life abundant. And as Jesus extends this life abundant to the people in his world, it is so incredible to see how they respond to see them live unblocked and new and refreshed and alive. And I know that's Jesus' heart for every person here. His heart is just get us unblocked. Whatever the things that are weighing us down, whatever the historical things that have happened to us, that have broken our spirit, have left us lonely, have left us hurting. Jesus sees and he knows. And he says, take this living water. What I wanna do for just our last little moment together is read two verses in a a posture of prayer. And I'm just gonna give you two invitations as we pray. As we ask the Lord, would you unblock us? Um, and give us the streams of living water. So would you go into a posture of prayer? Jeremiah 2.13 says this, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me and the springs of living water and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And Lord, we come to you now to confess the ways in which we dig our own cisterns and, and, and try and make cisterns that just cannot ultimately hold water We pray that you would show us how to be the vessel you want us to be to receive this living water. We just unburden our, our hearts to you, Lord. Then Ezekiel 36 says this, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols. And I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you and i will remove from you your heart of stone and i will give you a heart of flesh lord we receive now this gift of a new heart would you take everything that is hard in us everything that is judgmental in us. Everything that gets in the way of us truly seeing the way that you want us to see and in its place, would you give us a heart of flesh, a loving, compassionate, caring heart where streams of living water can flow freely and we can have so much joy. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.